it's better than sitting on the fence and saying, you know, waking up when you're 60 and go, I wish I'd done something. In a time plagued by groupthink, a tribe known as the Millionites have emerged from the depths of time to alter our trajectory for the betterment of humanity. These are their chronicles. Welcome to our community, where every single week we'll study the craft of some of the most successful entrepreneurial leaders in their given area of expertise. We'll take a trip down memory lane, long before the millions, to uncover their secrets to success and how they've achieved their goals. By doing this, we can fast-track our way to success and live the life we've always dreamt of. So, whether you are looking to attain financial freedom, location independence, or reaching the millionth mark of your milestones and more, then you've come to the right place. Stick around to find out what works, what doesn't, and how you can reach your millions. If you would like instant access to our back catalog, visit us at beforethemillions.com. And now, your host, DeRay Olaleye. What's happening, BTM community? I'm your humble host, DeRay Olaleye, and I'm pleased to announce that I can't wait for today's show with Reed Goosens. Man, y'all, it's going to be fire. <laughs> I'm not sure what it is about engineers, but they get it. Today, we have a former engineer on the show all the way from Australia, home of the Aussies. <laughs> He's going to share his story with you here on episode two of the Before the Millions podcast. He's built a massive portfolio in just a few short years as an entrepreneur. Reed currently owns and operates $50 million worth of commercial real estate. And all this just because he didn't want to be chained to an office desk job. <laughs> you ready? Well, before we get into the show, I just want you to start thinking about your business and how much easier it would be to scale if you had a rock solid A team. As with every episode, I like to interview the smartest person in the room. And today, that, my friends, would be Reed Goosens. This episode is particularly important because I think a lot of us believe, well, maybe not mentally, but through actions, that you need to be self-sufficient to be an entrepreneur. And I think that's the farthest thing from the truth. The late, great Napoleon Hill pointed this out in his infamous book, Think and Grow Rich. Henry Ford, as we all know, was a great businessman. He knew the value of a super smart team. He knew the value of super smart team members. Mr. Ford had the mindset that he could answer any question and solve any problem. If you were to ask him a super technical question that he didn't know the answer to, he'd probably just lean over to one of his advisors, get the answer, and give it to you. We all need to surround ourselves with experts in their given niches and fields. As entrepreneurs, we must focus on controlling the business, controlling the show, leaving the day-to-day -day items to be handled by the experts. I know that I really get going when I'm able to delegate tasks that I otherwise would have to do. This frees me up for my favorite activity, thinking. <laughs> I know it sounds a bit funny, but I'm serious. I try to spend hours a day meditating in deep thought. Some of my most successful plans have come from being in such a state. Now, on the other hand, if I'm handling the day-to-day, -day, I'd never be able to carve out any time to grow the business. Reed is going to get us right. He's going to share his journey to success and how we use his team members to scale. Well, gang, let's get it pop. The best real estate investing advice ever show is literally the only daily podcast that I subscribe to. And now I'm prescribing for you. The world's longest-running daily real estate podcast. That's unprecedented. Visit JoeFearless.com slash show for the back catalog. Enjoy. How's it going? 
G'day, mate. How's it going? It's going well. I'm happy to have you on the show. I think pleasure that... is all mine. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I think that a lot of the listeners will have to write down lots of notes because I'm sure this this show is is going to be jam packed. And I'm not trying to put any pressure on you, but <laughs> but I do listen to your podcast and I'm a big fan. So so thank you for being nice. on the show. Again, a little bit about Reed. He is a multifamily syndicator. Moved to the U.S. in 2012. Previously, I guess in his previous life, he was a structural engineer. And from structural engineering, he discovered his passion for real estate. So we'll get into that a little bit later. But I wanted you, Reed, to kind of take our listeners back in the time machine and talk about when Reed was in high school or when Reed was in college and when you first caught that entrepreneurial bug and what you did about it. Sure, sure. I'd love to. I'd love to take you guys through it. There's, there's a big journey. I Obviously, my for all those people out there who don't have not heard me, I, I've got a weird accent. I'm from Australia, right? And I'm going to wind back a little bit. But the real, it really started like I was always, as a kid, trying to make a little bit of money on the side. I came from a family, you know, a very middle class family. My parents are both teachers. I remember one day, there's a picture of me with my sisters and I've got this cooler and, and, and I put it on its side to create like a little bench. And I was probably, I don't know, seven or eight. And I've got these plastic bags of dirt, like they're, they're, they're little sandwich bags, they're tiny little bags. I'm trying to sell them for 20 cents each. And this is when I was like seven and eight, like I had no idea what I was doing. My mom's probably giving the neighbors 20 cents each to go and buy my crappy bags of dirt that I've just, <laughs> I've just picked up off the side of the road. There are rocks in it. Like you can't use it for anything. It's not enough. But that was kind of like the first ever memory. Fast forward, you know, obviously many, many years till I'm 21 years old. I first caught the bug of, of real estate and entrepreneurialism. I spent a bit of time. So I graduated in 2007 from structural engineering. I got a structural engineering degree. I moved to London in the United Kingdom to work on the 2012 Olympic Games. And this is back in 2008. At that time, I you know, was just enjoying life. I you know, spent a year in, in London and then I, I went down to the south of France and I was backpacking to the south of France and I, I got some jobs on some what's called a super yacht. And I spent the better part of six to 12 months gallivanting around the south of France. And at that time, I'd met my, my now fiance, but back in 2009, she was just an American girl on the beach. <laughs> and we obviously hit it off. I went back to working on the boat. She went back to America. And essentially, I, I found myself in America about six or seven months later, backpacking through New York. And I fell in love with New York. And I then fell in love with her. And she's from Southern California. I was in New York. I fell in love with New York. Unbeknownst to me, she had applied for university in Australia. So I was like, okay, I've been away for two years. Let's, you know, I'm moving back to Aussie. So moved back to Oz. She kind of followed probably six to 12 months later. And this is in 2010. I got a job, you know, after all the highs of backpacking around the world and experiencing all these awesome things, I'm sitting at my day job and I'm 20, what, 4, 25. And I'm saying to myself, what the hell? Like, I do not subscribe to this way of life. I'm just like, I can't just be sitting in a cubicle. I've just had the most incredible experience of my entire life, two years living abroad. And I'm just going to sit in a cubicle for the rest of my life. Like, this is not what I signed up for. I, I want someone to pay me to live my life, right? That's, that was the start of this thing. And yeah. being a civil engineer, I, you know, I love my numbers. I knew that I had to get my money working for me. I didn't know how to do that. And so what then transpired over a period of, you know, this is in early 2010, I then sort of, the bug hit me and I was like, what do I do? What, how do I get my money working for me? How do I get someone to pay me to, to live my life? And that's when I picked up the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And that 
that spelt it out for me. I didn't know what an entrepreneur was. I was sort of stumbling around reading books, and then I finally stumbled across Rich Dad Poor Dad. At the same time, my my father, my my dad had said to me, "Reed, you need to like get involved in real estate. Like, you just happen to be in a civil structural engineer working on these big developments. Like, you're already kind of in it." And I was like, "That makes perfect sense. Yeah, like, duh." And it opened my eyes from these jobs that I was working on as a professional to starting asking questions when I was on site to be like, so you're building this, you know, multifamily building. What does rent mean? You know, anyway, I, after I picked up the book, Rich Dad Poor Dad, it, it sort of laid it all out for me. I said, this is it. This is what I, I need to be doing for the rest of my life or pursuing at least. And so over the next period of about 12 months, I started attending, you know, RIA or, you know, real estate networking events in Australia. And fast forward 12 months, I was going to do something in Aussie. Erica was about to move back to America. I really wanted to live in the United States. I really wanted to live in New York. So we just packed up our bags. I quit my job and we moved halfway across the world. Erica was obviously American, so she's fine. But I didn't have a job and I rocked up to New York in late 2011, early 2012 without a job. I scoured the streets to try and find a job. I used to walk into these engineering places, knock on the door and say, hey, I'm here. My name's Reed Goosens. I want a job. And I finally found someone that said yes. That's step number one. But within the first two weeks of being boots on the ground here in the United States, I was at my first real estate networking event. I knew that I had to keep this, this this fire in my belly going. And it was with very great surprise that I found that in American real estate, you know, the barriers to entry here are so much lower than they were in Australia. And so that is where like I could establish my, you know, my peg in the ground and I said, great, I can go about and buy a fifty thousand dollar duplex, you know, and it, it will make twelve hundred dollars a month in gross rent. Like that was just unheard of. So, you know, fast forward a little bit more over the first 12 to 18 months, I bought two deals of being on the ground. Like I'd got a job, tick. Then I had some money saved from Australia. And that was, as I said, by no, I don't come from money. I don't come from anything. I just started. I just like, I know that I had a bit of money saved up and I'm going to buy these properties. I had to buy them more cash because I didn't have any credit coming to the United States. And yeah, it sort of steamrolled from there. In 2013, I ran out of my own money. I'd had a few flips. I'd done I bought a small portfolio of very small properties and I had to start syndicating. And I, I love the passion of multifamily. And that's when I started RSM Property Group. And, you know, three years later, uh, RSM Property Group, I've been involved in over $50 million worth of real estate. I've got my own podcast, about to launch a book. And, you know, people think, wow, that's so great. But it's like been a lot of hard work and it's still a lot of work to do. And, you know, by no means have I made it. I've only just sort of started on this road. But that's kind of in a general, I've probably gone on a little bit, but that's where I started. <laughs> That's great. That's amazing. I have a lot, of, a lot of things to kind of pick apart in what you said. But first and foremost, I think that the path that you've taken is very similar to the path that a lot of us sort of stumble upon. I was in the same position just one year ago from this very time. I, I picked up the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I was working at a big four accounting firm and I was working about 70, 80 hours a week. And I, <laughs> one of my seniors, she handed me the book and she told me she had been reading it. So I read it and it was so, I mean, I, 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 yeah, <laughs> it's one of those things to where you have to be, you have to be in a, in a certain place headspace. in life to, to receive it. Yes. You have to be in a certain headspace and, you know, you can read it at all junctions of life, but if you're at, at a time in which you're really looking for, for some answers and you're trying to figure out what's the next step, how do you break out into, you know, into freedom, whatever you define as freedom then I think that you're able to receive that book and books like that in such a different light. So yeah, I, I can definitely relate to that. And even speaking to your real estate path, you know, I think I'm a, I'm a couple shadows behind you, but I started with single family and then 
small multifamily. And now I'm like, man, syndications is, you know, I keep finding better and better business models. And I think that this multifamily syndication is the model that I'm going to run with for, I don't know how long, but it's been great so far. And I, and I, and I hope that it continues staying like that. So let's touch on the book first. And what do you think it is about the book that kind of just shifts everything and puts everything in perspective for you? Yeah, look, I think you hit the nail on the head there. You have to be in the right place to receive it, right? Like, I know some people who read that book, you know, when it first came out many, many years ago, and they, and they said to me that they were too young to read it. They were, you know, mid twenties, and now in the early thirties, they're reading it and going, "Holy crap!" <laughs> I hope I, sorry, I'm swearing a little bit, but you know, that's, I'm <laughs> You're foul mouth Aussie. Uh, the, <laughs> but the the fact is, it's like you need to be, as it said, in that headspace. It was really breaking it down into its components, and I want to add that. Nothing in that book gave you any nuts and bolts of how to do anything. It was just the idea of breaking free, right? There was no like, this is how you do it. It's like, these are the quadrants you fall in. Don't fall in those quadrants, fall over here and you'll be better. But it didn't actually say these are the steps. So from a philosophical point of view, it was great. But from an action point of view, it was sort of a little bit still tough because, you know, you're like, this is all well and good. How do I go out and create passive income? How do I do that? You know, like <laughs> you read the book, you're all pumped. You're, you're throwing your fists in the air, but you're like, wait, so how do I do this again? <laughs> and that wasn't until, you know, you start educating yourself on, you know, IQ, understanding what a PL is, what an asset is, what a liability, and playing the, the game Rich Dad Poor. Sorry, cash flow. Cash flow. I think yep, I love yeah, it. that's a natural progression. You, know, you, you, you read the book, okay, you, you play the game, you understand cash flow. That then, you know, builds some fire in your belly to pursue whether it's real estate or whether it's something else, investing in stocks and bonds or, you know, commodities, whatever it might be that you invest in, you're taking control of your life and and trying to get your money to work for you so you don't have to work for money, right? That's that's the essential, that's what it boils down to is that you don't have to swap your time for money. And that's what a lot of people do. And they subscribe to that. And they're going to wake up in 30 years and go, you know, oh, crap, I've let my, my life's passed me by. And I have not done anything with my life because I've been working nine to five, five days a week for the last 50 years of my life. And that's kind of depressing to me, you know, and that's why for me, when I received that book, I was just, this is it. It's speaking to me. So yeah. <laughs> yep. How did you put together your first deal after reading that book? What did your first deal? Oh, mate, I know you paid look, all cash for it. Yeah. So I want to just say that I picked up that book in 2010. I didn't actually close on a deal till end of 2012. So it was a good couple of years of, and again, I, I moved across the world. I, I yeah. moved to New York. I spent a bunch of money moving across to New York, like packing up your life and moving across the world is let's just, you know, let's just stop there. Like that's a big change. Like, you know, I don't, a lot of people that I meet just go, Oh my God, you did what? You know, like that's so weird. And I say, well, that's, you know, yeah, it's great closing on, on real estate and stuff, but I could close on real estate in France or in Australia or in Canada. You know, you'd make it work somehow. But the fact that I picked up my life and moved halfway across the world and had no idea how it was going to pan out, but I backed myself. That's the real accomplishment that I'm proud of because I backed myself and I'm I'm never going to look back and say, oh, I wish I'd moved to New York because I bloody did it. You know, like <laughs> I had a goal and I went out and achieved it. And that's what, how I've lived my life. And and that's, you know, the same with, with my first real estate deal. It's like I was learning so much in, in America reading books and blah, blah, blah. But I was getting to the analysis paralysis stage. I was like, this is all well and good. I can be a theoretical book nerd forever, but I, I have to go take action. Like I was still getting antsy that I hadn't actually done a deal. So I, you know, I chose a market which was in sort of four hours driving distance from New York City. And that was in Syracuse, New York. No special reason that it had a university there and it was four hours drive away and it wasn't New York City prices. So I found a property there. I'd, I'd been up there probably seven or eight times over a period of three or four months. And I 
finally pulled the trigger. And that was how I, I did, got my first deal done. And it was just through understanding like the different ways in which, you know, I had to build a team and all that and build relationships with the local bank. And, and I'm sure we'll get in that to, in, into that in a minute. Yeah, yeah. leading right into my segue. That's great. <laughs> so so you, you got into this first deal and you said that you basically, what was it, a single family dwelling? Duplex. Duplex. Okay. Actually, sorry, 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 sorry. Triplex. Triplex. I lie. Triplex. I lie. Okay. Yep. Did you house hack or? Nope, completely. No, it was not in a neighborhood that I would have lived in. <laughs> Let's okay, put it that way. Definitely. But it was, you know, a driving distance. I could see it. I, I, I knew all the steps to take, right? I had to underwrite the property to make sure it was going to cash flow. I had to build my team on the ground. How much money was I going to, you know, buy it for? I picked it up for $38,000 or $40,000 all cash. I put about ten grand into it and then I rented it out. And it was going really, really well for a couple of months, for probably six or seven months. And then I had some Section 8 tenants in there and there were some issues with those and I learned a lot. And But at the end of the day, it was making a bit of cash flow. But it's still what I found the most powerful was that you know, I could go in there, you know, clean it up a little bit, not put in, you know, any you know, granite countertops, but I just made it, you know, nice. And I could increase my rents like 60 bucks a month. And that was fantastic. And over three units, that was just incredible. And I just had no idea that I could do that. And and the power of that on a multifamily was really, really incredible. Yeah, you're right. And you hit a lot of good points there. That that experience in itself, that first experience, that first deal, I feel like it, it kind of maybe mediated a lot of your fears and, and got you a little bit more comfortable with the playing field and provided you with, I guess, the confidence to move forward. Which, which, 100%. Would you agree? 100%. Okay. I say HP, 100%. Yeah, HP. <laughs> the, yeah, dude, like, you just, because you're in, I mean, there's re, like, I'm going to these freaking seminars and people are spending thousands and thousands of dollars on mentors and book camps and boot camps and blah, blah, blah. And don't, don't get me wrong. It's all well and good. But you get to a point where you're just like, enough's enough. Let's go out and make this happen. I'm going to learn so much more getting my feet wet than I am going to be sitting in some, you know, Hilton sipping on some crappy coffee. <laughs> <laughs> yep. yep definitely. Okay. So this first deal was a triplex. And yep. of course, you needed, like you mentioned just now, you needed a great team to pull this deal off. Talk a little bit about the team that you had in place at that time and maybe how you've had some lessons learned because you said you had Section 8 tenants and those yep. tenants didn't work guess, out. <laughs> they didn't work out and they, they were maybe the reason that you may not have that property in your portfolio today. So maybe talk about the team and some of the things that you learned about building a great team and how you structure your teams now. Yeah, good question. Looking back on it, the team probably wasn't the best that I could have got like in terms of transparency and reporting and all that sort of stuff like they the biggest learning point for me was investing in that at type of asset you know under $50,000 you know the property manager you know is only getting what 7 or 8% of the gross like uh, you know not even 100 bucks a month you know when you ask yourself the question is he going to spend a lot of time on this property making sure that my tenants are good and whatever the answer is probably no. Like if your triplex is amongst his, you know, two or 300 properties that he's taken care of, yours is probably not going to be at the top. And that's probably one of the biggest things I learned about, you know, real estate investing in the teams and, and just in residential real estate in general. And don't get me wrong. He's a great guy, lovely guy, but just probably because I come from structural engineering background, I expected a little bit more. And then, but then when you break it down into actually what is he getting out of this relationship, you know, like he's not getting a lot. So I learned very quickly that I wanted to probably get into more commercial real estate because the professionalism, the way in which people report to you is just so much better. And the fact that I could scale quickly, you know, in, in Resi, you're only limited, you know, you don't leverage so much. It doesn't scale quickly. And the fact is, I can't force the net operating, uh, the value of the property 
through the NOI, like you can in commercial real estate. Can yeah, you break that down for some of our listeners? So yeah, yeah. saying that you can't scale. So in the example with a property manager and you have a single property manager for, for your triplex, as opposed to having a property management team for, let's say, a hundred unit building and up. So what's the scalability? How does that benefit you by going bigger? Mm-hmm. It benefits me from a few things. It's like, because you value it based on a business, you can then do you can do a lot more, right? So the, the, the two things: the bank, the bank looks at it like, okay, well, you're creating it like a business, so you're going to create on the net operating income. On the single family side, you're based on the the comps of the, of the local area. So if you go in and you increase rents, you know, fifty bucks or sixty bucks a month per unit, well, the, the, the value of the property isn't going to, you know, isn't going to go up in value, you know, as much as say on a property that is like ten or twenty units. So the value there for me was that in terms of scaling, I could apply the same concept to going down to, you know, that I was doing on a triplex over 20 units or 30 units, it's just that the sheer scale scale was there. Does that make sense? And I hope that explained it to your, to your listeners. Yeah, yeah, that makes perfect sense. goes back to when I was doing on the triplex was like, okay, what are you doing? You're going in there, you're, you know, you're doing up the bedrooms and you're painting, you're putting in new flooring, you're putting in new, you know, maybe doing a little bit to the outside. But the fact is you're only doing over three units and take that same model and do it over 100 units. The value there is that you've just doubled, you know, you're, you're timesing your, you know, your rental premium, whether it be, you know, 50, 60, 100 bucks by 100 units rather than only three units. And so that, that economy of scale is there. You get more economies of scale in terms of your operating expenses. You get more economies of scale in terms of your property management fees. But you also then get better teams, right? You also get more professional teams. And that's what I struggled with looking back now that I work in the larger multifamily, just how much more professional people are in this in larger scales because there's a lot more of the pie to go around. So, you know, you take 4% of a gross income of a million bucks, you know, that property manager is going to be a lot more switched on than someone who's only taking 8% of $1,200. <laughs> Does that make sense? So you you basically have more room in your budget to pay a team rather than paying an individual. Yep, that definitely makes exactly. sense. Exactly. So exactly. so talking a little bit more about the team and you mentioned one component of the team which is the property management company. What are some other components of the team and and how were you able to find A type pieces or A rated type pieces of your team? Yeah, I think the biggest thing for me, is like there's a few people that you need in your team. There's going to be obviously the property manager. You want to make sure that the property manager has a general contractor on board or someone he can recommend. You obviously want a really, really good broker, right? And as you get more and more experience with this stuff, you become more and more astute to what it is that you need from them. So, you know, when I talk to a broker now, the way in which I talk to them is so much different compared to six or seven years ago. Like I, I know my stuff now, so I can't get the wall put over my eyes. Maybe that I did you know, back in the day. Yep. So there's the broker, there's the property manager, and then there's the general contractor. You probably also maybe need an attorney, but that's not as important as, you know, from a day-to-day or a month-to-month, you know, touching base with your team, it's property manager, broker, general contractor. On a large scale, you may have a few more pieces to the puzzle there, like in terms of your lawyer, because you're maybe doing a PPM or a capital, you're raising capital. You may be talking more to your bank because, well, your bank's very important also in your smaller deals. And it was very important to me because when I first moved to the United States, I didn't have any credit, right? I just had to buy it all cash. And but what I did, which was smart, is I went to my local bank that I bought that first triplex in. And I said, okay, I'm going to open up a bank account. And I said, okay, look, this is my cash coming in every month from the property. You can see that coming in. And over a period of about six months, I proved to them that 
you know, hey, this property's working, right? It's, it's, it's operating. Can I leverage some of my money out of this deal? And they only gave me on $50,000, they only gave me 25 grand, but it was enough to get some money out and I combined it with some more cash that I had to buy deal number two. And so I did that for a couple of deals, right? And it was just about building those relationships with the bank, with my, you know, making sure my team on the ground was good, you know, the property manager, the broker, the general contractor, and making sure that everything was was coming together nicely. I hope that answered your question. Yep, that was perfect. How do you suggest going about finding a good, you know, let's just use a broker for an example. How do you go about finding a good broker if you're brand new, you have no experience and you want, you know, the cream of the crop deals? Yeah, well, (laughs) if you're a newbie, sad to say that you're not going to see the cream of the crop deals straight off the bat. You're going to have to spend a lot of time building relationships. One of the biggest things that I think if you're breaking into the multifamily space or the large multifamily space, a good tip is ring up brokers that you know that are good and offer to take them out to lunch or try and get one of the younger associates out to lunch, like a young guy who works under the major guy. And this is on a big Ridley. I'm talking about like a Marcus Miller chat type firm. And if you're breaking into the multifamily space, because that's what I'm assuming we're talking about here, and then take them out to lunch and get to know them that way. That's how you get to essentially like a dating, like take them on a date (laughs) and you want to court them, right? When you're new, you can't think, oh, well, show me what you got, broker. Like, it's like you've got to show them what you've got. Like, until you close on a deal, they're not going to take you seriously unless you build that rapport. You know, you've got to take them out to lunch. You've got to keep in touch with them and blah, blah, blah. Yep. That's an interesting point. I think that's that's something that a lot of newbies have trouble with. You know, what came first, the chicken or the egg? You often mm-hmm. need that experience to be able to connect with these producing brokers and you can't get that experience unless you get a deal, which you get your deals from a producing broker. So it's kind of, you know, in, in the beginning, you just have to kind of grind it out and, and wiggle and find your way in. I know I've I've been through a lot of that and wiggle and find your way into it. Once you're in, you're in. But it's that yep. it's that grind beforehand that's key. And that's where you have to be consistent and, and not give up. Because like you said, it's it's very hard to approach a broker, to approach any member of a equitable, of a good team and ask them, you know, hey, I'm looking to buy this property. You know, would you be willing to be my property manager when I have no credibility? I have no track record. I have no no background in real estate whatsoever. Like it's very hard to to kind of enter the game and already be successful at it. So know that you know when you're going in that there are going to be a lot of challenges. It's going to be very hard to get connected, but you know, if you keep at it, then I think that all roads lead to success. So Kind of moving on, Reed, let's talk a little bit more about you and how you've kind of sculpted your entrepreneurial journey, because I know that kind of talking to entrepreneurs on this podcast and and just in general, I know that everybody has their own daily habits and it helps them get into the zone and it helps them accomplish their goals, whether that's you know, meditating every morning for an hour or it's going to work out. Like from the time you wake up to the time you go to bed on a typical day for you, what does your day look like? And what are some of those things that you have in place to make sure that you're, you're always attempting or aiming to achieve your goals? Yeah. So a daily habit that I practice to keep on track towards my goals. A big one that I've started doing is journaling. I use Grant Cardone's 10X rule. I'm giving him a plug here, but it's a don't worry about that, but it's a good way of setting. I do that every morning. I wake up, take the dog for a walk. I come back. I sit down with my, my bowl of cereal and I, and I write out, like I look at my calendar, I write out what I'm doing for that day. And then I write out my goals again for the year. And I do that every single day. And then I want to, you know, I have some targets for that specific day. I'm a big believer in like not trying to overload your plate. Like if you're going to start something, then finish it in that day. Don't try and drag it on for two, three, four days. And maybe some 
some bigger tasks that take a little bit longer. And in general, I like to hit two or three major, major goals or milestones in a day. You know, I come to the end of the week, that's like 15 major tasks that I've done in one week. So I'm getting a lot achieved in a short period of time. Another thing I, I obviously, I'm a very big believer of, if you look after your body, you know, you take care of yourself first, you can take care of your others second and your business will Will grow if you take so i work out you know try and work out once every other day probably four or five times a week and i also try and you know eat very healthy and you know just trying to i like to read also my parents curse me by calling me read but <laughs> they i do try i know it's good for me and it's good for you know my writing skills and it's good for my speaking skills so i do try and read over night time but throughout the day i'm, I'm going pretty hard most every single day and you know i'm on the podcast or i'm underwriting deals or i'm talking to my analysts that i've got on my team I'm calling brokers. I'm, you know, doing pitch decks. I'm either, or I'm, you know, creating content from with my podcast or my website. So there's always something to do, and there's always something going on. There's never a time when my foot's not on the pedal. I'm very much one of those guys that it's go, 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 go. And I sometimes do have to realize that it's okay to not work. Like I'll be on a Sunday, I'm like, oh, do I have to go for something to do today? <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm very much one of those guys that I'm, I hustle hard because. For many years, I hustled with a side hustle, you know, with with my day job and and trying to do real estate on the side. It's tough. And and for all those listeners out there, you know, my biggest piece of advice is that when you do start out in real estate and you have a side hustle, it will be like having two jobs. And unfortunately, that's the way it is. If you want to escape the rat race and you want to create financial freedom for yourself, you're going to have to hustle. That means coming home after work and doing another two, three hours, waking up early, doing some stuff before work, doing stuff on the weekends. Obviously, create time for your loved ones, but it will be a slug and there's no such thing as get rich quick in, in whatever the business you do. Yeah, That's my I advice. That's a, I think that's amazing advice. I think that I, I definitely fall in the category of being a workaholic. And as soon as I get off work, I check in, in into my next job, which is real estate and being an entrepreneur and <laughs> kind of upkeeping all of that. So I can understand that. Okay. Reed, I think we've learned a lot from your background and your experiences. And I think that in order to build a massive amount of success, whether that's financially or just in general, I think that having a good team and having members of a team who don't necessarily, in which you don't necessarily know the ins and outs of that specific area, let's just say property management or you know, your CPA or your attorney, like you can't wear all hats. Like maybe in the beginning, you can try to wear all hats. You can try to figure things out. But I think that in order to grow purposefully and to grow rapidly, I think that you need members of a team while you're moving forward rather than focusing on wearing all hats, which we'll tend to do, especially in the single family space, you know, buying up single families, like you don't, you don't want to pay a, a property manager to manage because it's, it's such a, you know, you're, you're making sucks such your money. Yeah. Yeah. It sucks all your money. You're making small profits. So I think that when it comes to scalability, a, a team is really, really vital. So I'm glad that you touched on that. I want to add one thing into that, I think, yeah. which was really important that I missed which is very key in my entrepreneurial journey and for your listeners out there is get a mentor, get someone, you know, getting a mentor is investing in yourself. And you hit on it just before was that you can't do it all yourself. Real estate investing is a team sport. Get someone who has done what you want to do and learn from them. And if you've got to pay them, you've got to pay them, but it's worth it. And you can then leverage their skills and abilities Maybe you be able to leverage them to get involved in a larger deal that you might not be able to take down yourself. You might have been able to get an introduction to someone or a broker that you may not have been able to get 
because you don't have any experience. Yeah. So definitely get a mentor. It's been so vital for my my growth as an entrepreneur. And I think I think you know who I'm talking yeah, about yeah, when. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I definitely agree. And now I'm agree. a mentor. <laughs> and now I'm a mentor to other people. But I pass the buck on. So I've got mentees and students now because I'm at a point in my my career where I can bestow knowledge upon them and help and give them a leg up into a deal like I was, you know, I, I pass it forward, as they say. Yes. So, so yes. yeah. Reed, I 100% agree. I say before any other member of your team, you get a mentor. I can, what's funny is just a year ago, I was probably one of the, <laughs> one of the people who would be like, hey, like, what's a mentor for? These people are ripoffs. Don't pay these people your money. <laughs> this makes no sense. If there's anything that you can learn, you can learn it through a book because I'm a big reader as well. I read tons of books and I, I've always been a avid person when it comes to letting people know, hey, you can do anything that you want. All you have to do is read it. you know. And I've always kind of instilled that in my life. And then not too long ago, I got a mentor and boy, <laughs> my outlook on everything has changed and I couldn't be any happier. So yeah, I definitely agree. No matter what you're doing, what industry you're in, what you're pursuing, find somebody who's done it before. Find somebody exactly. Who, find somebody you're trying to emulate because I think if you can find somebody who's already been where you're trying to go, then you can get there a lot faster. HP, 100%. <laughs> you are listening to the Before the Millions. Before the Millions. Before the Millions. Before the Millions. Before the Millions podcast. What is your favorite Before the Millions book? Got to be Rich Dad Poor Dad, right? Yeah. I, uh, I think that that's the first one, followed closely by the Four Hour Workweek. Oh no! Okay, wow. Can, <laughs> we we kind of have the same taste in self help books because I mean, Rich Dad Poor Dad got it started for me as well. But yes, the Four Hour yes. Workweek was the one that kind of just set me on a on a trajectory that I haven't looked back from since. <laughs> o- automation, baby. <laughs> yep, yep, exactly, exactly. Okay, what were the sacrifices that you knew you had to make before the millions to get to where you are today? Look, to be honest with you, one of the biggest learning curves, you know, before the quote-unquote millions was my lack of understanding of how long it was going to take me to get there. I was like, yeah, it's going to be done six to 12 months. I hustled, hustled, hustled. And I was like, you know, churning away like a like a rice cooker, like whisking, you know, when you whisk cream to make it whipped cream. <laughs> yeah. Like you're whisking, you're going, you're going a lot of energy, a lot of energy. And you're like, oh, I haven't got anywhere after six to twelve months. And, and you actually have to realize it's gonna take you longer. But it's because I didn't put the right expectation on the front end that it was it probably was always gonna take me three, four, five years. It was never just gonna happen in a short period of time. And it's still, you know, like I'm still striving to, you know, do more and more and more. But that was probably the hardest part that I underestimated on the front end. So setting your right expectations on the front end that this is, will take a long period of time if you're looking to break out the rat race or you're looking to do whatever the goal is to create that financial freedom. It was that part there that I didn't set the right expectations. Over time, I realized it's okay. I can't get down on myself about it. I just got to keep hustling. So, yep, so yeah. Definitely. And I mean, my best piece of advice in, in, in that scenario, if it's that hard to whisk it, Reed, you just got to get an electric whisk and, and, and call it a day. <laughs> No, I'm just playing. Okay. Who was essential to your growth before the millions and why? I may mean, already know the yeah, I think my, to this one. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think it was my mentor for sure. And I can name names or I don't have to name names. But, you know, it, just in general for your, your, your people out there, get a mentor, get someone who can you can be coached from. I was like yourself. I, did, I thought mentors were a load of BS when I first saw them. And now I understand the value of them. You surround yourself with the people you want to become. 
Get rid of the people in your life who drag you down and surround yourself with them. You are the average of the five people you surround yourself with. So look at the five people that you surround yourself with and say to yourself, are they going to help me get to where I need to go? And if the answer is no, then you need to get rid of them and get some new friends or get some new mentors. Yep. I love that. I love that. I think I tell that to at least one person a day. You are a combination of the five people that you surround yourself with. So please be cognizant of that. Why do you think so many of us are stuck before the millions, even though we have every intention on getting to the millions? It goes back to probably that before, that underestimation of the work it takes to do it. And people are just freaking lazy. That's what it comes down to is that, you know, they don't want to do the hard work. They don't want to stay up to midnight underwriting that one deal. They don't want to get out on a weekend and, and go door knocking to try and find a lead. They don't want to take that broker out to lunch. You have to do it. It's 2017. Someone else will eat you up and spit you out and you're going to, you're going to still be sitting on the fence in 30 years time. I say to people, I'm more afraid of not having a crack at something than I am. Sorry, I'm more afraid of regret than I am about failing if I give it a try. Don't be afraid of the failure. At least you had a go at it. You can back yourself and say, at least I had a go at it. If you failed, that's okay. You had a go. It's better than sitting on the fence and saying, you know, waking up when you're 60 and go, I wish I'd done something with my life. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Hey, Reed, I really appreciate you being on the show. Every word, almost every word you spoke was golden. And I think that our listeners took away a lot from this episode. So again, thank you for being on the show. We've learned so much from when Reed when Reed quit his full-time job and decided to become an entrepreneur and went backpacking in various places and came to New York and, you know, kind of... Uh, Fell in love. Kind of, yeah. Well, yeah, New York is one of those places in, in which you can fall in love at first sight. So... I can understand that. So, Reed, again, thank you for being on the show. And I hope to have you on again soon. And thank you. Mate, my pleasure. Keep up the good work. You're doing an incredible job. You take an action, which is the most important thing. And so, big pat on the back for you. All right. Thanks, Reed. We'll talk to you soon. Wow. Yeah. What another fun filled episode. Hope you took good notes. I know I did. If you'd like to learn more about Reed, his links are in the show notes. Alternatively, you can visit his site at rsnpropertygroup.com. If you're bugging along your entrepreneurial path and have a strong business model and the right team members, and you feel like you're starting to pick up traction, whatever industry, I think raising capital is a big component of building a big business, personally. So I suggest that you look through Reed's ebook, The Art and Science of Raising Capital Like a Pro, The 4P Rule. He's taken some core principles and condensed them into five pages for your reading pleasure. Just email info at RSN Property Group to get your free copy. Or you can just send me a quick email and I can get you connected. Hey, if you've gotten great value from this show, I'd really appreciate it. We'd really appreciate it if you leave a rating and review on iTunes. Stitcher and SoundCloud. Can't forget them. <laughs> also, don't forget to subscribe so that you'll get to listen to these great entrepreneurs everywhere you go and anytime you want. All right, B-Team listeners, I got to get out of here. I have to wake up early tomorrow morning. I have a big day. I'm closing on a new property. <laughs> I mustn't be late. Hey, go fail at something great. Ciao. Bring it back. I'm ready. I'm ready.